Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, almost forgot how to do the intro. It's been a minute. <laughs> it is, but that just means we have so much to talk about. Uh, miss doing the show with you and eager to get started on a regular schedule. Uh, we're recording this actually just 100 days from the start of Alabama football games. And as we know from the daily countdown we do on the board, uh, 71 days until the start of fall camp. So uh, 10 weeks from tomorrow. You know, we are going to be getting on a much more consistent schedule probably in july if i guess you know june will kind of pop in here and there won't have any like set schedule definitely don't want to go a whole nother month without doing a podcast we i got busy and you know the kind of my thought process behind it was jimmy does a fantastic podcast already with luke robinson the locked on bama podcast i'll go ahead and give it a, a mention uh, on our podcast, I don't think, you know, that's Shit. against the rules or anything. It's it's phenomenal. Uh, I enjoy listening to it. And so I thought, you know, a lot of our listeners will be getting at least Jimmy's side on a lot of this stuff. And we've had some other things keeping us busy through the off season, but just sometimes it gets away from you. And I, I've got to let go of the perfectionist in me, you know, back when I could just record, let it go. And then let Jake handle the editing process. I can knock these things out all the time. Now that I edit them myself, I think everybody's got a little bit of OCD in them with certain things, not with everything. Like my brother is OCD about his room. His room is 
perfect. His bed is perfectly made. He got that from my mom. Knows, I mean, it is incredible. The entire room is just spick and span 24-7. Go into his bathroom, it's a complete wreck. You know, go into his truck. I don't think he's washed his truck in like six years. Um, you know, so people are OCD about certain things. One of the things I want to want to be perfect is like the audio and the sound and making sure we're both on the same levels. And so I got to go through and listen to all of it. So it takes like an hour and a half to edit it after we just spent 45 minutes to an hour talking about it. So it's just, it's not like it's some super little thing. Uh, but I just got to let that go and just say, Hey, I, I'll just put it out there as it sounds, not worry too much about, you know, making it perfect. And that way we can do it more consistently. Cause that's been a huge Part of why we haven't been as consistent is just the time commitment that it has been taking. But we are here today. We are going to be talking about several different subjects because we haven't been on here in a while. That includes, you know, Eli Holstein. We're going to talk about his commitment a little bit. Miles Ketzelman, we'll touch on him. Been a little while, a couple of weeks, but I think that's worth mentioning. You know, the Nick Saban versus Jimbo Fisher. We'll talk about that a little bit, and then we'll also touch a little bit on, you know, Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban, if we can get to that. just depends on, you know, how we're doing as far as time is concerned. But, Jimmy, I want to start with Eli Holstein because I think that that's, you know, by far the most recent news, and it's pretty important. So just tell me, you know, your initial thoughts. I know you've shared a ton on the board. You've shared, you know, you wrote an article about it. But what were your thoughts about Alabama landing Eli Holstein? Yeah, uh, I will share something I haven't shared on the board uh, the way that, you know, that you – uh, asked me the question and made me think to this is what I think about Holstein because you know you guys know that read my stuff every day on the on three message bam on three message board uh, know that I'm pretty excited about Eli Holstein and even though I'm a huge Arch Manning fan I'm still an Arch you know it's very possible that both of these kids are really good by the way I don't know, some people want to pick one or the other they're both freaking unbelievable but anyway this is how I feel about how good Eli Holstein is uh, it only happens once or twice a year, but it, as people know, I also work uh, very part-time, if you want to call it that, for, uh, for QB country. Uh, there's 11 QB country coaches uh, all over the South. Uh, I work for all of them, uh, not just the big boss, David Morris and Mobile. That's who I work primarily for just because I'm in Mobile with David. But uh, there's 11 all over the South, and, and these are some of the best private quarterback coaches in the whole country. They're great guys. They're really good. So we're all in one room that only happens a couple of times a year and we're all in one room talking about the 23 cycle because the QB country, we, we have an incredible roster. Our, our top 10 guys are all power five sec level guys, including arch, but, uh, but we don't, uh, we don't work with Eli. Uh, and as a matter of fact, no one uh, around the table had heard of Eli because we're talking about the 23 cycle. And I said to this group of professional coaches, I'm like, have you guys seen the kid from Louisiana that's committed to A&M? At the time, Eli was locked into Texas A&M. It wasn't even a kernel in my head that Eli could possibly flip from A&M to Alabama at the time. This is going back several months, okay? This is maybe it was even December. I mean, this was a while back. And uh, no one at the table uh, had heard of Holstein or dealt with Holstein. And uh, we have this big screen where we're able to pop film up there really quickly. And I popped the Holstein film up there. So I'm watching it with 11 coaches. And the only word around the room was, wow, wow, wow. Where's this kid from? What? He's, he's in the, this is 11th grade film. And, and I'm talking about with a room full of guys that do nothing but coach the best high school quarterbacks in the, in the country. Uh, everyone was wowed by his 
physical ability and I was showing him off and, and it wasn't because, Hey, we got to figure out a way to get this guy. It was just like, Hey, watch this dude. Uh, and, and everybody was impressed. That That's how impressed I am with Eli Holstein. And that was when I thought he was just going to A&M. I just like watching the tape because I like watching talented kids play. And the fact that that kid is the one that ended up at Alabama I'm I'm thrilled. I mean, super thrilled. I, I just as I, as I wrote the other day, Clint. Uh, I'll just leave it with: I truly believe he's the best combination of size, athleticism, and arm talent, all three together, uh, to have signed with with Nick Saban at Alabama, uh, which is saying a lot. But uh, but I really believe it. I mean, you're from that aspect. You're 100 correct. Because when you look at it, a guy that's 6'4", 225 pounds, he's already got division. He's already got NFL quarterback size. Um, yep. You talk about the athleticism. I mean, running a what was it, like a 4'6", four, 4", four, uh, yep. having a 38-and-a-half-inch vertical, you know, all of these things that he did all across the board, phenomenal numbers, numbers that were shocking to me. I'll tell you kind of my experience with Eli Holstein because what I do at this point in the in the year, I'm not watching a whole lot of recruiting tape. Probably should be because it's the offseason, but there's still a ton of other stuff going on. You know, we got a great guy in Joseph Hastings who does a phenomenal job on the recruiting end. Every year, I start paying more attention as far as going to watch the tape. I know names. I know kind of who's interested in who. I know all that information, but as far as diving into high school tapes, and watching guys, I really don't typically start getting into that until you start getting a lot closer to December where you're going to actually be signing these guys. And I typically will go through and I'll watch all of the Alabama commitments and then anybody that's kind of heavily leaning Alabama or Alabama's super involved in, I'll watch all those guys. So, I, I mean, I'd heard of Holstein for sure, knew of him, absolutely, knew you know where he was from in Louisiana, Zachary, the fact that they won the state championship, a lot of the bare bones stuff. But as far as getting my own, because I always like to go and watch the tape. And sometimes, you know, in the past, I've had a lot of high school tape, full game stuff that I've gotten sent to me. That's been very helpful. Don't get that as often anymore, if I'm speaking candidly. But, you know, you go watch some highlight tapes, and that can give you, you know, uh, you have a hard time as far as consistency is concerned. You don't know how consistent a guy is. But you, you see their their highlights. You know what they're capable of when they're playing at their best. So when, you know, Holstein – committed or what we had heard that he was going to be committing i went and watched you know his junior tape and then i watched excuse me uh his sophomore tape and then i watched his junior tape after that i was blown away and not only his talent see when i first got you know you no offense you know don't judge a book by its cover but you look at the guy and i wouldn't have thought by looking at him that he was he would be as athletic as he is this is not a rip on David Cornwell. But in my mind, when I'm talking about Holstein, you know, you hear about him, Alabama's looking at him. First of all, I kind of thought David Cornwell would be like the style, like the pocket passer, you know, good Not arm. Guys, they, they, they resemble each other facially. They, yeah. they, 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 they could be brothers. Yeah. So that's kind of what the, the image as far as a player I had in my head. And, you know, he wasn't as highly rated. He, you know, he's the number 69 overall player in the 2023 class he's the number eight quarterback but you know on three has him rated outside of the top 100 I, after watching his tape i would be curious to know what went into that process but you know just watching him i was blown away by the athleticism and i was blown away by the improvement that i saw in a lot of areas as far as his, you know his throwing motion i thought it got better going from sophomore to junior year i felt like him pushing a lot of his highlights from sophomore year 
you're looking at a guy who wasn't really pushing the ball vertically as much, really taking making some strides in that area of his game. So I was extremely impressed. And I think that a lot of the the stuff that you see as far as his skill set, enough athleticism, talented playmaker. Uh, I was actually kind of surprised by his arm strength. I don't think it's like elite caliber arm strength, even though I think it could get there. We talked about, you know, yesterday, you and I were talking about it, just the two of us. And, you know, the the comparisons to Josh Allen that a lot of people have been making, I said, watching him as a runner, I see a lot of Josh Allen. Looking at his stature, see a lot of Josh Allen. Arm talent, don't see Josh Allen. But you were quick to point out, if you go watch Josh Allen's high school tape, the, the high school recruit that was recruited just to Wyoming and those kind of schools, there are some similarities. And you know what? You're 100% right when watched a little bit. And obviously, you're going to continue to get a stronger arm as you work through your career. At least most guys are. And you're correct. I mean, that was a great comparison. Yeah, you'd compared him uh, to Andrew Luck. And, and man, I, I really like that, too. Uh, that, that hadn't really occurred to me. Uh, and, and then you made that compare. I, I really like it. And it's, it's because it's so rare that you get a kid like Andrew Luck like Josh Allen, like Eli Holstein, they look like a pocket guy. Like you said, he looks like Cornwell. Cornwell's problem in terms of in retrospect, and by the way, I like Cornwell when we signed him. He was highly regarded. People forget how highly rated he was. Absolutely. Um, but I think, to my knowledge, the reason it didn't work out with Cornwell is he was pretty challenged athletically. He wasn't a great athlete. And, and sometimes when that happens, everything is a click too slow. Everything. It's not that he didn't have a big arm. But when you throw it a half second after you should have, it doesn't matter how big your arm is. It's too late. Uh, and and uh, where Holstein compares so well to, to Luck and, and Josh Allen is he is that athlete. He's the athlete like Luck was. He's the athlete like Josh Allen is. And while those guys have made a living in the pocket in the NFL, so will Eli. But what what a what a great trait it is to be a pocket passer and also a real athletic kid that pays off in a hundred different ways yeah and he's he's definitely not going to be you know Lamar Jackson you know as far as a runner or even a Jalen Hurts but he's deceptively quick man um you know you, you I think he will shot kind of like Joe Burrow uh was mm-hmm. you know when he actually decided to take off you were kind of shocked I actually think that you know, Eli Holstein will be even better than that. But just the deception, watching Joe Burrow as a quarterback, he would kind of lull defenses to sleep as far as his ability to run the football. And then when he did, he was absolutely lethal with it. And yep. we talk about QB country, the great athletes, and it's so hard to do and it's so hard to explain, but I'll just use a phrase, I guess, that, that sums it up. But by time in the pocket, by time in the pocket, you don't have to bail. <laughs> You, if the, the guys that have great feet can buy time in the pocket, and even a guy like Tom Brady, he, he can't buy time. Tom Brady has to do it with his brain and his arm. But guys like Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen and Andrew Luck, they could buy a full second by moving their feet inside the pocket. I think Holstein can be that type of, type of player. And when, you, when you're talking about checking boxes as a quarterback, and, and there's a lot that goes into it. A lot of it people know, a lot of, you know, stuff that people don't, you know, the leadership qualities. You know, I couldn't speak to Eli Holstein's leadership ability, even though 
seem, I mean, he led his team to a state championship. His teammates seem to love him. Um, so you would think that he's got those qualities. I just can't personally, from what I've seen or know of him, I can't speak to that. So I won't try to, but when you talk about size checks, that box for sure. Athleticism checks that box arm talent. Absolutely. Can he go through his progressions? Does he have the ability to kind of read defenses and understand where he needs to go with the football? I will say, man, at Zachary, his offense asks him to do that, and he does it fairly effectively. So you can – a lot of high school quarterbacks, you don't necessarily know if they can or can't. They do it a little bit. They're asked to sometimes. But, you know, on the high school level, guys are getting open a lot easier. You know, you you can kind of go where you, where you want your primary read to be. You know, that's where you're typically going with the football secondary read a little bit. But can you continue to work through progressions, get to third and fourth options consistently – you see that Holstein is very capable of that, which I think is extremely encouraging. One of the big reasons why I am very excited about him for Alabama, all of these different traits that you would want out of a quarterback, you know, I think his ball placement is phenomenal. You know, it's not just putting the football on your receiver. It's putting it in places that allow him to continue to create after the catch. You see that a lot on his uh, highlight tape and I will do what I can to try to get my connection, my former connection, to see if they can contact somebody and give me full games. I'd love to watch several full games. I'm, I feel like I'm working with limited information here, but, I mean, great job by the Alabama staff. And when you compare him, you know, to, to Arch Manning, Arch is one of those rare players who lives up to the last name hype. You always get, guy, oh, this is this former NFL player's son or, you know, whatever, and it and you go and watch him, and it's like, you know, I guess one example, in my opinion, is Bronny James, LeBron James' son. You know, he's like a very – he's a top 70 guy the last time I checked. You go and watch him, and it's like, I don't really see that guy. I think in a lot of ways he's living off the last name. Very good kid, very talented kid, not saying – you know, not trying to knock on him at all. It's just I think some of that star power, that star rating, is a result of the last name. Arch is – he lives off of his own talent. Maybe he wouldn't be the number one player in the country – if his last name wasn't Manning, but he has all the traits and the intangibles that you look for at the position too. And I wanted to get your take on this. It felt to me like Alabama, while they would have loved to have had, had Arch, don't get me wrong, it felt like just the way that the staff recruited Holstein, it felt like they were very comfortable with either player. Oh, yeah, they wouldn't have. Uh, Arch is so transcendent. Arch is so generational, I think, as a prospect. Uh, and, and Alabama had a great shot with Arch and still has a shot with Arch, even with Holstein committed. Uh, but it just goes to show what Alabama staff feels about Eli Holstein, because if they weren't, you, you don't take Eli Holstein and, and, and really injure your chances with Arch unless Holstein is phenomenal. And, and, and I think it's one of these things where, you know, they keep their own rankings and their own ratings. I'll just bet this without knowing for sure, although I sort of know, <laughs> but I'll bet this, Clint. I bet Alabama ranks Eli Holstein higher than on three rivals ESPN or 24-7. I, I think Alabama is higher on Holstein than all of the recruiting services are. And and I'll give it it's not just that you you could be injuring your chances with Arch if you take Holstein, which shows how much Alabama loves him. But Alabama didn't really recruit Christopher Vizina, you know, who, who, whose parents went to Alabama, kids from Birmingham, uh, and, and he goes to Clemson. 
and Alabama didn't talk that that tells me Alabama liked Holstein a lot more than they like Vizina, who's a national top six kid across the board and who went to one of the best quarterback programs in all of college football. So Alabama is nuts about Holstein and Nick hadn't missed much a quarterback lately and Alabama's quarterback coach say what you want about Bill O'Brien. He knows quarterbacks, right? I mean, he coached Tom Brady. He coached Deshaun Watson. He made Hackenberg a good player at Penn State. Uh, he just won a Heisman Trophy with, with Bryce Young. Uh, when Bill O'Brien and Nick Saban are like, we want this kid, uh, uh, America better listen. Right, and a lot of people are going to look at the recruiting process and how everything kind of played out, and the narrative is going to be, oh, they felt like they were wavering you know, that they were kind of falling behind with Arch Manning. So they pivoted and went to Eli Holstein. That couldn't be further from the truth. If you've been paying attention back in January, Sam Spiegelman said that back in January, he's our, one of our national recruiting guys who does a phenomenal job for on three. But he, you know, when talking about Holstein, one of his comments was, you know, back in January, one of Nick Saban's first trips, uh, if not his very first trip off of the plane was heading to Zachary to talk to Eli Holstein right after he won the state championship. And one of the big driving forces and why, and this was why he was committed to Texas A&M. So he was already a guy that was locked up. And instead of, you know, putting all that fo- all of his focus towards Arch Manning and trying to secure that commitment, he was, you know, going and trying to fight. Cause I think he sees something in Holstein that he really wants and he really likes. And so he went out there and he talked to him or went down there to Louisiana and talked to him. And, you know, one of the big driving forces for Holstein is that he wants to feel valued and he really felt valued by Alabama. And this was back in January. And that's one of the big reasons why he decommitted. And then he became kind of obsessed with Alabama. He went on like three trips in like a two week or like a six week period. And so he's been trending for a while towards Alabama and Arch Manning, while it, I guess it's been a little while now, a few weeks, the Alabama was very much in the picture somewhat recently. And I still think they're somewhat in the picture, but you know, I don't think that this was yep. a pivot and settling for an Eli Holstein. No, he hasn't canceled his official visit as of right now. Uh, and, and I suspect it is going to happen. Arch is going to visit Alabama. You only get five. Arch isn't doing it because he'd like to look around. He's been Tuscaloosa multiple times. He's already seen it all. He wants to come again. Arch is just a different cat than, than I, I realized that, that in these days, two blue chip quarterbacks don't sign in the same place. Well, it used to be commonplace that it would happen. And Arch isn't about, I've got to start as a true freshman. Arch isn't about me, me, me. Uh, Arch is just about personal development. I mean, I think that's the thing with him. I think that's the thing with the family. Arch is going to go to a place. Once Arch is convinced that this place will make me the best quarterback I can possibly be, he's going to go there. If he has to sit and wait for his turn to be the starter, as long as he's developing, as long as he feels like, I mean, put it this way, as opposed to starting as a freshman somewhere, he, I, I think Arch would rather go to a place that he knows is making him better. And 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 I do happen to know this, although it's commonplace, same thing with Ty Simpson, uh, I think Arch and his family are really moved by the Matt Jones story, you know, who also didn't start as a freshman, sat at Alabama and developed. And then by the time he, he did inherit the starting job, he was not only ready, he was ready for the next level. I, I think that story resonates with the Mannings and, and, and that it's about that. 
it's not about being the star of the team and a giant NIL deal and starting as a true freshman. It's about what place will make me the best quarterback I can be. That's what there's so I, I read this every day from Alabama fans, because mostly what I read is Alabama fans. Uh, their mind is blown about Arch considering Texas. That's because they're focusing on Texas and Texas's one loss record. And the fact that Texas lost to Kansas uh, and the fact that Texas hasn't been good in a long time. That Arch Manning's uh, fascination with Texas has to do with Sark. Sark. If Sark was at New Mexico State, Arch would be considering New Mexico State. It has to do with the fact that they believe, rightly or wrongly, that Sark can help Arch become the best quarterback he can possibly be. And again, getting back to Mac Jones, right? <laughs> um, so that's that's what that's about, and that's what the kid's about. So could he still choose Alabama? You don't don't rule that out. Well, and speaking of Steve Sarkeesian, if it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you, as far as you know, a quarterback being that infatuated with Steve Sarkeesian, I don't necessarily think Bryce Young's at Alabama. Had it not been for Steve Sarkeesian, hundred percent true. 100% true. So, I mean, that tells you that this isn't the first quarterback prodigy, you know, number one player in the country that has said, I want to play for this man. And I, I, that's why there was some concern when Steve Sarkeesian chose to leave to go to Texas. And Bryce Young, of course, stuck it out with, with Alabama. And obviously it's worked out well for him. You know, reigning Heisman Trophy winner could be, you know, a top three, you know, top five pick in the NFL draft next year. Some people think he could be number one. Uh, if he hadn't been starter he probably would have left if, if it wasn't obvious that he was going to be the starting quarterback at Alabama he probably would have left right yeah and so you know you can't really blame Arch and and to me the one that the head scratcher is Georgia not Texas right. for Arch at least in my opinion right. and it has nothing the program is in a much better place and I think with it, Texas coming over to the SEC I think under Steve Sarkeesian the way they're hitting the transfer portal and having success there you talk about this new NIL era and the money that Texas is going to have at their disposal, I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned reckon with, you know, every bit as much as Georgia at some sure. point. Now, maybe, you know, maybe Arch is kind of the guy that helps bridge that gap and starts to make them become that program, or maybe he's gone, you know, before it actually ends up happening. He, he goes to Texas, he leaves Texas, and they're a good program, but they're still kind of climbing, you know, my for guess, Georgia. Go ahead. Yeah. My, I just say my guess with Georgia – and again, I know less about this than I do about the Texas situation, but I think it's, if in your mind, and I'm not saying this is true, but in your mind, if Nick Saban's not going to be at Alabama for the next three, four, five years because of his age, in your mind, if, if you asked yourself as a non-Alabama fan, that's just a college football expert or college football fan, if you knew okay, when Nick Saban retires from Alabama, who's the next Alabama in terms of they're going to have a great offensive line. They're going to have a great running back. They're going to have a fleet of good receivers. They're going to be good on defense. They're going to put the best team around me. Once Saban retires, who's the next Alabama? While I'm not sure I agree, I would agree. I mean, if anyone says, well, they, the, the clear answer to that is Georgia. That's a reasonable answer. It's just reasonable. They just won the national championship. They recruiting five-star kids. Their recruiting classes look like Alabama's. Uh, I, I think it has to do with 
gosh, when Saban's done, Georgia's Alabama. And that's, I mean, I'm not going to argue with someone that takes that position. It, it, it's, it's, it's not clearly wrong. So I, I, I'm guessing it has to do with that. Well, yeah, and, and I certainly agree. And I don't necessarily mean like I, I can't believe Georgia's in this conversation. I'm saying between those two schools, I would right. be more surprised with Georgia than Texas, and that might that seem odd, but it's because, you know, as a highly coveted, highly talented quarterback, I mean, you can argue, hey, I mean, Georgia turned Stetson Bennett into a national championship winning quarterback. I mean, that's quarterback development. That's, you know, walk on to national champ. Like, that's pretty impressive. Yep. I would say, yep. you know, when you talk about Brock Vandegrift, you talk about Gunnar Stockton, you've had like very highly coveted quarterbacks go there. You know, you talk about guys before, you know, Justin Fields. You talk about even Jacob Eason, who was, if I'm not mistaken, pre-Kirby Smart. Probably about right. I think when he first got to Georgia. I could be wrong on that. Um, yeah, if he's a year older than Fromm, Fromm was the first real Kirby quarterback. Yeah. I mean, and, in terms Kirby signed him, you know, so Eason, I think, is at least a year older than Fromm. And, I mean, game manager quarterback, and then you've got, like, the game manager of all game managers at quarterback now in Stetson Bennett. It just, to me, there's been this kind of uh, perception of that Georgia program that they can't turn these highly coveted quarterbacks, highly rated quarterbacks, into highly productive college guys. They've got to go elsewhere to do that. You know, Jacob Easton kind of became that guy for Washington. It was still raw coming out when he went to the NFL draft, but, you know, had a lot of natural ability, had a lot of success at Washington. You talk about Justin Fields for Ohio State and the things that he was able to do. So right, wrong, or indifferent, it, it's there's this perception problem, and you talk about the pressure that Georgia will be under if they secure Arch Manning. Imagine bringing in the prodigy of all prodigies and – if there's a lack of development there, if he doesn't turn out to be what everybody thinks he's going to be, there will be a permanent scar, in my opinion, on the on the Georgia program as far as their quarterback development. And, and certainly in the eyes of quarterback recruits, highly rated quarterback recruits. So to me, I would be more shocked with Georgia than Texas. I think Texas is going to beat Georgia or be close to Georgia within the next you know five you know set to seven years. I really do. That will probably upset some people, but especially if Steve Sarkeesian is that guy. Plus, you have him as a bargaining chip for quarterbacks like Arch Manning. Plus, they'll be in the SEC. I mean, everything that you talk about that's appealing to, you know, for Georgia, I'm not as shocked. You know, I'm not looking at the win-loss record from last year and making sweeping assumptions about uh, where Arch Manning might want to go. Now, uh, got to wrap up relatively quickly because for whatever reason, this – Zoom stuff started only going to 40 minutes. And I, was gonna, I don't know why it used to not do that. I think, I think they figured out that we were going way too long on our podcast. And they're like, we're just, we got to, we got to, from a company policy standpoint, we got to put a cap on this. We got to keep these guys under 40 minutes. Um, so I just got the timer. We got eight, about eight and a half minutes left. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Miles Ketzelman. I guess since we're doing the whole new additions, we'll spend a little time on him. And then, you know, next week we'll hop on again. And we'll talk Jimbo Fisher and Lane Kiffin and then whatever else pops up over the weekend, which is a strong possibility. But just Miles Ketzelman and what he brings to Alabama. What was your thoughts on them adding him initially? And have you changed your thoughts at all since then? Uh, exactly. It's a great way to put it. Uh, I, I, mean, I mean, I try to be totally honest. You know, if, if we take a kid and I'm not crazy about it, I mean, I'll say so. I, as I'm not afraid to be wrong. I'm not afraid to disagree with uh, the staff about a player. And uh, they're either right or I'm right. And sometimes I've been right when they're 
wrong uh, most of the time. They're right, and I'm wrong. But it, it, but sometimes I disagree, and my initial take was to disagree, and that's simply because this. I'm a numbers guy, math guy, and the the vast majority of players that are successful in college are five star and high four star type recruits, and kids that are two stars and no stars and three stars. Uh, it's rare that, that that they become star that they become great players. Uh, it, it's just math, right? Uh, and for that reason, we took Kitzelman. I mean, my, my very first uh, opinion off the top of my head before I'd seen or known anything about it is, uh, well, we just wasted us. We just wasted a spot. We're just signing a guy that might be a third tight end on fourth and one in about six games in his career. And that'll be that. Well, then I started digging into it and then I'm, I'm learning about it. And the more I've learned about him, uh, the more excited I've been. Not that I'm excited to the point that I'm ready to go to, to betonline.ag and wager he's going to be great. I'm not saying that. But I am saying for a kid that is a one-star, two-star type that literally had no recruiting attention except from the University of Alabama, that was it. Who did Alabama beat to sign him? Some people say Louisiana Lafayette. That's not true. Miles, until he heard from Alabama, was going to return to Hutch. He wasn't signing with them. He was going to return to Hutch. Alabama beat out Hutch to sign him. That was his options. Do I sign with Alabama or do I stay at junior college? So we beat nobody to get him. I, I still say if that's the situation, most likely this is a kid that won't have a great career. But you look into, okay, why is he at Hutch? Why is no one recruiting him? What are his legit measurables? What's his skill set? What's his story? I add it all up and I'm like, we may have just back ass stumbled into a true hidden guy that's going to be a thing. Um, and we'll talk about it more on the next show. But I, I am uh, excited about what Kitzelman might be. Am I going to wager a lot of money? He's going to be great. No, I think that would be a real stupid bet, to be honest. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm right there with you, you know, and we sit all the time with NFL teams like, and this is why I, you know, when I first saw it, I was like, I think they see something with this guy because it didn't make a whole lot of sense why they would add him. And then I went and looked at the roster and it's like red shirt, senior Cameron Latou. Then you got a true sophomore with less than a hundred career snaps and Robbie Utes. You got Amari the black freshman, Danny Lewis, freshman, Elijah Brown, freshman. And only one of those two or one of those three freshman tight ends arrived on campus early, you know, and went through spring practice. So two of those guys, you're going to be getting over the summer. So I think from a youth and an inexperienced standpoint, they were worried about the depth of their roster and, and who would be ready to play and contribute. And then, you know, like I said, you see this with NFL teams all the time. You have like rugby guys and guys and, and ba former basketball players who were just height, weight, speed, kind of freaks, unicorns. And they, they bring them in and they say, Hey, if we can develop this guy, we believe in our ability to develop players. If we can do that with this guy, he could be a heck of a player. And Jordan Malata, who is the starting left tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles, he was one of those guys. He was from, you know, a different country, had zero experience with, with American football. Now he's one of the top left tackles in the NFL because they saw him. He, they brought him in for a workout. They liked his rawness, his athleticism, and what they could mold him into. And he turned into a great player. We've seen that with tight ends, too. But Alabama can't bring guys, quote, unquote, in for workouts. And I, they just stumbled across Miles Ketzelman when they were there watching or wanting to watch Malik Benson, the top Juco wide receiver. Their teammates, they saw him. They see a 6'5", 250-pound guy who's catching passes 
as far as in practice and he's high pointing it and he looks impressive athletically. He's running good routes and they think, I mean, where is it? Who is this guy? And so I just think he's a diamond in the rough. And so they decide to bring him in. I think he needs to play with better pad level more consistently, but it's kind of surprising how good of a blocker he is considering the lack of consistency with the pad level, but he gets to the second level as a blocker extremely well. He blocks well in space, which is huge. You know, those small athletic defensive backs, he gets to the second level and he can get those guys blocked, which I think is, you know, that that can turn a a 10 yard gain into a touchdown, you know? So I think the coaching staff likes what they see in him. And I think he ends up being, you know, I wouldn't say he's going to be a great player, but he has the potential in my opinion to be a phenomenal player. I think the raw skill set is absolutely there. So any more thoughts before we hop off on off here? I didn't know that till this week, but I heard from source inside the program uh, four years of eligibility for Miles Kitzelman too. Wow. That's a plus. That's a huge plus. Yeah. I mean, so he's got some experience. He's a guy that's more college ready. You you know he's gonna be a good blocker at the very least. Plus, you got some maybe untapped potential as far as being a receiving tight end. He could be a red zone threat. I think he's very moldable and who develops players as good as anybody in the country, Alabama's coaching staff. So they feel tight confident. It's a unique spot, Clint, as you know, from playing so much football as you did. If, if, can you imagine when you're at Athens high school, if the best, the best athlete on your team, the best one, he's six, four. Uh, I mean, every inch of six, four, he's 225 pounds. He's strong, but he can also catch the football. I mean, this is an athlete, right? You know the last position your coach was going to put him at? Tight end. Yep. He's wasted. You're wasted at, at tight end in high school. That kid plays wide receiver or somewhere on defense like pass rusher. He, he's not playing tight end. Tight ends that play tight end in high school most of the time are not premium athletes. Uh, Miles Kitzelman was a left tackle in high school. That's the sort of story that it results in an NFL tight end yeah. that story. not he's been a tight end his whole life again I, now there are exceptions I know somebody's gonna say but Jimmy this guy played tight okay, okay sure I'm just saying at most high schools the most premium athlete on the team is playing almost anywhere but tight end and that's why tight end there's weird stories that's why a George Kittle might be the best tight end in the world right Nobody listening to this podcast knew who he was in high school or college. None right. of you did. Yep, 100%. Yeah, he was a, a 1A kid, had 30 total you know, high school kids on his team, was playing offensive line, defensive line, and made the transition to tight end you know, on the JUCO level. So far, it's working out pretty well. He's now got an offer from Alabama. So that's going to do it for today's episode of the Bam on 3 show. We had to kind of get cut short, but hopefully uh, everybody enjoyed it. And we will be back next week, I promise. We will be back with another episode. Uh, with a little bit more information for you guys. So we appreciate you guys tuning in, and we will talk to you guys soon. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if you're first bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. 
Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-427 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.